Bow your heads with me and let's talk to this Lord. Oh Lord Jesus, walk amongst us in all your gracious, loving, caring concern to meet with us, to speak to us, to draw us to yourself, to inspire us, to lift us, to bring our hearts in surrender to you. We need you, Lord. We need you. So please, in that same mercy, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. And take our hearts, Lord Jesus, and set them on fire with love for yourself. We pray this for your name's sake. Amen. Well, please be seated. We're going to be looking at that passage in Matthew chapter 1. It's in your service sheet where it says third service. You can find those words. It's great to hear them read as they were read to us by Pastor Jared, to see them up on the screen to have them in front of you even to maybe underline and make notes. Because what we are doing is coming to you in all that we say and do and pray and sing right out of what God has brought to us via his word. We're not into Christmas because somewhere along the way they started writing carols. We're into Christmas Because somewhere along the way, Jesus got born to Mary. God acted in history, in space and time. And then as that message got out, people began to sing about it. And over the years, the depth of hymnody just surrounding Christmas has been spectacular, still is. Some of you know that I wasn't raised to go to church. I come from an irreligious family, but I will tell you this, in England back in those days, everybody knew the Christmas carols. Just like they knew all the popular music of the day, they knew the Christmas carols. And I, as a little lad, had a sweet little solo voice. And I went singing around the homes of England at the front door by myself. Carols that I'd learned, like Emmanuel. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. What child is this? All those beautiful carols, holy night. Now I was singing for money because they would hear me singing outside the door and I would gently tap on the door to be sure that they knew somebody was at the door and they would listen to me sing. And then they'd give me sometimes a few pennies, sometimes a few shillings. One night I remember I made a killing. I wasn't in it for Jesus. 
but the beauty and the spirit of those songs still meant so much to me that as I was drawn to Christ and got what they were about, I then began to sing them from the heart, not just with a voice, but with a spirit that was made alive with Jesus in me. And in a great sense, this is our time of the year to be about that. By the way, I was there Friday night at the Allegheny Center Alliance Church for uh, their Light the Night. It was spectacular. I do encourage you, take the family down there. And as with going to PPG, you know they've got an ice skating rink out there in front of the PPG building. Do you know that? I went over there afterwards, and believe it or not, the place was packed skating in the rain. They could have played that song, I'm skating in the rain. They were, they were soaking wet. But you can go down there and take it in. But there's a little girl sang. I mean, the image is fixed in my mind. She was about yay tall. That's with her hair fluffed up on top. And she sang with a microphone this beautiful carol. And I sat there and wept. This, as sweet as can be. And she wasn't showboating. She just stood there and sang. You've got a free evening. Maybe you get your spirits picked up because the Steelers get creamed again. That's not what I know. That's not what we're hoping for. But these are special moments. You need to take advantage of them, like you're here. Now, the word anticipation. You see what I'm stimulating in telling you all this is the anticipation that this is something worthwhile. I don't know if you've seen our images now on the lit billboards around the city. They're turning up. Anticipation, like Carly Simon singing from a day gone by. God has given us a gift, and it's a human gift, to be able to place our minds in some other place for some other event while we're sitting here, even here, to imagine. And in that imagination, to anticipate. Anticipation. I remember as a little boy, in my mind, seeing Santa Claus. In England, when I was a little boy, we call him Father Christmas over there. But Santa Claus came down the chimney. He didn't leave the presents at the fireplace or at a Christmas tree. He came up into our bedrooms and left them at the bottom of the bed so that when we woke up, and it's a wonder we ever went to sleep, to think that Father Christmas was going to come into our bedroom and leave us like a sack full of toys. We could hardly stand it. We anticipated. 
getting up and finding those toys. There are two couples getting married here at the church in the next two weeks. And I've been visiting with them this week past. And they are anticipating being married. It's wonderful that they have kept themselves sexually unengaged in their engagement so that the anticipation of being married, of being intimate, is written all over them as you talk to them. And they're talking dreamily about getting married and the vows that they'll make in the exchange of the rings. Anticipation. Just by way of some entertainment, I was on a plane a few years ago, this will tell you, it was into the old airport, the old Pittsburgh airport, where back in those days between 2001 9-11, you could go right up to the gate and wait for people to come off the plane. So you'd come down the ramp and your family would be there to greet you. They could actually be there to see you off as well. And I was sitting at the back of this plane on my way from Philly to Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, sitting next to a chap who, as it turned out in our conversation, was coming to get engaged. His girlfriend, his fiancée-to-be, lived in Pittsburgh. So we got talking, and he was so excited. He got out his wallet and showed me her picture. There's Susan. So I looked at it and said, wow, she's beautiful. I said, have you got the ring with you? Oh, yeah, he went in his pocket, got out the ring and showed it to me. I said, man, that's something. When I got off the plane, guess who was standing at the bottom of the ramp? Susan. Because I was on the outside of the aisle, I was going out ahead of this other guy. So as we're coming down the ramp, he's walking behind me. And there is Susan, lit up like a Christmas tree, waiting for him, glowing, smiling, looking, anticipating, maybe, getting engaged. And then the devil took over with me. I went right up to her at the bottom of the line put my hands on her shoulders and said, Susan, what are you doing here? <laughs> and she's looking at me horrified because the boy she's really waiting for is coming down the, the ramp behind me and I've got my hand. How did you know I was coming in this weekend? <laughs> and she just looked horrified. I said, I, I said you don't know me, really. I said, but I think you're going to have a great weekend, and I just took off. <laughs> I bet she was standing there like, who was that masked man? I've never seen them again since, by the way. Never run into them. But the anticipation on her face was worth doing that.
Now, we're talking this morning, as we get into the Christmas season, about the risk anticipated by Joseph and Mary, given that this miraculous supernatural event took place of her being pregnant with child without ever knowing a man sexually. And that's where this all begins. Verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1. This is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, that is, in marriage, sexually, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. With child. But supernaturally. From the Holy Spirit. Something God did. Now here's the plain fact of the matter that the Christian faith is absolutely rooted and grounded in the supernatural. By that I mean something that's way above what naturally can be explained, what we might call miraculous. It's a fact. And when we try to explain God's miracles in human terms, and that's often done, we try to see some other way around it happening, whatever the miracle is, somebody getting healed, finding some human expl- explanation for it, feeding the 5,000, Mary being pregnant. And we do not only ourselves and God's word a disservice, we do the Lord himself who is stepping into history in time and space and doing something that he can only do from out of time and out of space by entering it, and as we say, supernaturally or miraculously, for him it's not a miracle. For him it's him being him, being God. And so, Matthew's Gospel actually begins with the fact that Mary is already pregnant. It doesn't explain about the angel coming to Mary. It does about one coming to Joseph. Luke's gospel is the one that has the accounts of the angel coming to Mary and telling her ahead of time. That's gone by here. It's taken for granted. She's pregnant and Joseph finds out. How do you think he found out? Because she started to show as they say, chances are Mary told him. But irrespective, when he finds out she's pregnant, what does he decide to do? The human thing. Look at how it goes on. Very next verse. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, in other words, He hadn't had sex with her, and he knew he hadn't had sex with her. He did not want to expose her to public disgrace, so he had in mind to divorce her quietly, do this thing quietly. There is no way to quietly 
have a baby. At least he could step out of the arrangement quietly. I don't know what people... What would people have still said? Have you ever thought of that? If he had divorced her, if he'd ended the engagement, whose baby do you think they thought, would have thought Mary was having? And when he did it quietly and respectably and didn't make a big show about it, how do you think the people in Nazareth would have thought Mary got pregnant? See, at the human level, what you would anticipate is how risky this whole affair was as God planned to do it. But one thing transcended all that, and that is that God revealed himself. It wasn't just that there was this supernatural, miraculous, from heaven, by the power of the Holy Spirit, pregnancy. But there was a supernatural communication from heaven to Mary in the first place and then to Joseph, as we shall read, of who this child was and why he came, why all this is going on. And beyond what you read here, as I pray, have prayed in your hearing, expecting you to pray the same thing with me, is that God is here present, communicating himself to you. So I pray that he would take my words, my lips, and speak through them. I do not have the power to have God's like authority to speak his words. I could say his words, but what I'm praying for is that God will speak to your heart and mind through his words. Only God can do that. When I pray that you would have his thoughts, that he would be in your thinking, for you to get your mind on God's wavelength, for you to think clearly, vividly in your mind as to what he's communicating, you need him to get it straight. It's not a matter of the information. All our human instincts are ready to reject what God has to say. But for me to ask that he take your minds and think through them, it's a supernatural act that goes on here. He is present here. That he takes your wills so that what you hear him say, you yield to and conform yourself to. And in that response, to have your hearts inspired. There's a phenomenal scene at the end of Luke's Gospel where Jesus, without them recognizing him, having been crucified, having risen from the dead, is walking along the road with two other chaps and he starts explaining to them his death, Jesus' death and resurrection, from the Scriptures, from the Old Testament prophecies. And afterward, after he's disappeared from view, they say, did not our hearts burn within us as he opened up God's Word? That was supernatural. 
They felt it while it was going on. And it wasn't just that they were getting information that they didn't realize, though that may have been the case, but their hearts burned because the Spirit of God was setting their hearts on fire. There was a spectacular, miraculous communication going on. And we pray that God would set your hearts on fire. It's something he does. We can't do that, preachers. We can tell you stories that may move you. But when God sets you on fire, that's something else again. That's why C.S. Lewis wrote in his biography, his autobiography, he called it Surprised by Joy. He wasn't looking to be joyful. He was battling out what the truth and the evidence was in his mind. But once it settled, he was surprised by joy. In fact, he described it like a man waking up from a nightmare into ecstasy. The transformation. That's something God does. And it's beyond natural. Devil can come along and tell you all sorts of lies. So you put your faith in what God has said. So the angel of the Lord comes and speaks to Joseph in a dream. Now the three things I want to say. With all that's going on, because of the, this message that he is told, Joseph is told concerning this baby, Jesus. It needed a super, it's not just a supernatural event, it needed a miraculous supernatural communication of that event. So he is told that this child to be born Let me read it from chapter 20. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. That's his first message. As he's contemplating being done with her, That child in her womb is from the Holy Spirit. But then he went on to say this. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. So they didn't make up the name Jesus. They were told to call him Jesus. Joseph got that message. And why call him Jesus? Well, the name Jesus means Savior, And it goes on to give explanation because he will save his people from their sins. So Joseph gets the word, number one, that the child born in Mary, birthed in Mary, conceived in Mary, is of the Holy Spirit, number one. Number two, you're to call that child, who is a boy to be born, Jesus, i.e., that is, Savior, because, why call him Jesus? Savior, because he will save his people from their sins. So it's not just who Jesus is, born of the Holy Spirit. It's what he came to do, save us from our sins. 
Sin always destroys. Destroys relationships, destroys families, destroys communication, sometimes a business, even a church, a school, a presidency. Sin always is a killer. Sin is serious. I'll tell you how serious. God acted miraculously in his son being born of human flesh in a woman, coming from heaven, taking up human flesh, what we call the incarnation, and then going to the cross. Over the cradle was the shadow of the cross. His name will be called Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And then one other and a third communication is this. Verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet, that is Isaiah. It's in chapter 7, verse 14. Isaiah was 8th century BC. Eight centuries before Jesus came, Isaiah penned these words. And here it quotes, The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The last song song we sang before I stepped up here. Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. That this child was God incarnate, God with us, and has come to save us from our sins. You'll call him Jesus. But the miracle is this, implicit, is that eight centuries before Jesus came, it was told. And we have the record of it. A virgin shall conceive. How does that happen? She will call his name Emmanuel, God with us. A supernatural event around a supernatural task by God himself in the flesh to redeem us from our sins. And while I'm speaking, God is addressing each one of you supernaturally, I trust, by his Spirit as we have prayed concerning your response to him. We're about to come to the Lord's table. We're celebrating the Lord's Supper. The very act that Christ commanded of us the night before he was crucified. What I'm going to ask of you is this, that when you come forward, which is how we do it here in case you're visiting, and we kneel at these kneelers at the front, if you're able to kneel, If you're not able to kneel, you can stand. 
And all we ask of you in coming is that you really do know and love the Lord Jesus. But as you come, give yourself to him. To him. He is here. So you come to receive the bread and the wine. You kneel down. Do so as unto him. Kneel in his presence. Surrender to him. Give yourself back to him. Whatever else is going on in your mind, you bring that thought with you as you come and kneel. It's to him. Because ultimately, God reveals himself, not just with words, but with himself. Himself. Let's talk to him together. Lord Jesus, thank you for your presence here with us. Thank you for loving us as much right now as when you made that journey from heaven to earth. That journey from the womb of your mother to the cross on which you died. Right now, Lord, we self-consciously anticipate this moment of giving ourselves back to you. To kneel before you. Thank you, Lord, that those who come to you, you will in no wise, no way, Turn aside, so you come to him.